Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Bahar Shlishi, the third Aliyah in Parshas Bahar. The topic of our Aliyah is the three-year promise. It is six Pesukim long, running from Perak Chofe, Pasuk Yudtes to Chof Dalad. This is a very packed Aliyah. It is a very crucial Aliyah in understanding the Shemitah process. And it starts with the following. We've been told that the nation of Israel needs to keep Shemitah. And Hashem tells you that you're going to eat of the land, you're going to be filled up, and you're going to be successful. However... If you will ask, what will we eat in the seventh year? We did not plant it. There was nothing we could bring into the, from the field. What should we eat? Hashem says a remarkable thing. I will give you my blessing in the sixth year. And it's going to make three years worth of produce. You're going to therefore be able to plant in the eighth year. And you'll be able to eat the old produce until the ninth year. Until you are finished consuming the old produce. In this way, you, you will not be selling the land completely. The land belongs to me. You are residents upon it. And in all ways, there will be redemption to the earth. So we see a remarkable thing in this Aliyah. It is the promise of Hashem responding to the concern of Israel. How will we feed our families? Hashem says, I will look after you. A lot of things to think about in this Aliyah. Number one is, if the people don't ask, does that mean there's no promise? Their asking seems to be a lack of emuna, a lack of faith. Is the, are the people who have a lack of faith given a greater reward than those perhaps who don't ask? They don't ask and they're not going to have this reward. The Orach HaMakarish says, no, the way that it is being asked is the following. The way it is being asked is they say, we are keeping this mitzvah, but we want to know what to do. It's not that we are only going to keep this mitzvah once we understand. We are keeping the mitzvah. The question is, is how are we doing this? What's really happening? Reminds me of a very incredible holy letter, which was sent in the year 1895 to the chief rabbinate of, of Yerushalayim. At the time, the, the, the farmers um, of Petach Tikva sent a letter, and the farmers themselves signed this letter, and they said to the, 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 the tzaddikim of Yerushalayim, the great leaders of Yerushalayim, they said, we're not sure what to do. At the time, there was a new involvement evolved, evolved, called the Heter Rechira, selling the, selling the land of Israel, and uh, in order, to, in order to, uh, to, uh, to avoid starving during the year of the Shemitah, and the previous Shemitah people had suffered terribly. Yeah, because many many Yeshuvim, many settlements, had observed, observed Shemitah, and many people died. And they, they turned to the, the, the Rabbanim Yerushalayim and they sent a very beautiful letter. I, I've had the opportunity of seeing this letter, the real letter itself. Rabbi Dr. Ari Bergman has a copy of this letter. And you can read it and they say, we are going to be keeping the year of Shemitah. If you tell us to, we're going to stop and desist despite all the danger. It's going to may cost the lives of ourselves and our families, but we're going to be doing it. But you, Rabbanim, tell us, tell, tell us what to do. Tell us what we should be doing in this because we will, we will do what you say. Sounds very similar to what the Oroel Orachim HaKadosh is describing this attitude towards mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are not something which get in the way of our lives. They're something which we do. And the question is sometimes as how they, will they work, but that's a secondary concern. Something else interesting over here. The Sephora makes a very ob beautiful observation over here. He says, he asks the question, what over here is a, is a, a person, who is greater, a person who doesn't question Hashem or a person who questions Hashem? He points out that the person who questions Hashem will get, will receive the, the, this blessing in disguise. That means to say that the, the, uh, the 
a person who does not question Hashem, who does not ask what will we eat in the seventh year, they won't get extra produce. You know what will happen? The miracle that will happen to them is the amount of grain that they have, the small amount, the regular amount in year six, will last and they'll eat and they'll be satisfied with less. Hashem may make it a disguised miracle. Whereas the person who questions will get the, uh, the, the extra grains, three years bounty of produce, which is better, says the Svarna. Interestingly enough, on, uh, the, the Svarna points out that the person who has more faith receives the hidden miracle, doesn't necessitate something overt and something unusual for it to be successful. And that is the godless. In fact, Rabbi Zushya from Anaponi is quoted as having saying the following. On our pasuk, he says, Because of your question of what we should eat, then that requires, so to speak, that he needs to give them the blessing. And if they were not to say this question, then Hashem wouldn't have to make this special trick. It would happen naturally. Hashem wants us to be, that it should be natural. That's the idea, is trying to find HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the natural world, even without the questions as well. One of the questions we've got on is, why three years? Why are there three years described over here? So Rashi explains it's really about the year, year six, seven, and eight. It could be as as one version of the Torah's Kohanim suggests that it's referring to a Shmita Yovel combination. So it's really two years of lack of produce. So of course you usually are planting and sowing in the sixth year, and that'll take you over into the seventh year. It's really the seventh and therefore eighth, which is the Yovel year, which is the product. And that's what's going on over here as well. What is the Isra of Loisa? You should not fully sell the land. So the most classic understanding, as Rashi quotes it, is, is that you should make sure that when you sell your land, you should not sell it that is going to be unredeemable. The Yovel will deal with that in the coming aliyahs. However, the Sefer Achinah quotes another version of the Midrash, Halacha, which is that it is an Isra of selling the land to a non-Jew. This is very important because here you have two very important questions which are brought back to back in the in our aliyah. Number one is the question of well, how will we survive the Shemitah year? How we survive Shvi'as, and the second is is not selling the land to non-Jews, which became these two ideas right next to each other became the center of an incredibly controversial issue that is uh, that that uh, developed over the, the the last century and a half, and that is for the vast majority of the last two thousand years, the Jews were, had no sovereignty or power or agriculture in the land of Israel. There were so few Jews in Yerushalayim that Ramban, when he came to Yerushalayim from um, Spain, very he didn't even have a minion in Yerushalayim, when he made his shul in Yerushalayim. There were pockets of Jews in Sfat at certain points, and there were a few small aliyos of Jews who came to the city centers, to Yerushalayim, to Sfat, to Veria. But on the whole, there was very little agriculture. In the 19th century, we started hearing a number of Sfaradim, in fact, were, were, you know, had vineyards and, and a few things here and there. Um, and they asked, what should we do on the Shemitah year? And then uh, early on already, there was a halacha, one of the great Sfardi Gedolim, Paskin, that one could um, sell their land to a non-Jew. And because Shemitah is the Rabbonon, the, the, then in that case, it would, be, uh, it would be all right to sell the land to a non-Jew, being cultivated by a non-Jew. And in that case, it would not be uh, under the rubric of Shviz, thereby avoiding avoiding the concern of Shvi'as on that produce. The question then became is once in the in the late 18th, 1800s, in the late 19th century, when the many men or European Jews started coming to Israel and started farming it, many under the auspices of Bar the Baron of Ro Baron Rothschild, who set up a number of settlements and supported financially underwrote a number of settlements in Israel, Petach Tikva, Bazkeret Batya, a lot of very important settlements, Zichron Yaakov, which were being established, um, um, under under the the financing the financing of the Baron de Rothschild, 
What was interesting is, is that when it came to the year 1888, which was the Shemitah year, um, there were different differences of opinion. There was a question is, is should we listen to the Heter Mechira, this, this, uh, this idea of selling the land to a non-Jew for the Shemitah year, or should we try to plow through the Shemitah year as the Torah tells us to observe it? And it was split down the middle. Um, many many Gedolim um, were, were of the opinion that the Heter Mechira was reliable under the extremely difficult circumstances in which the impoverished the Jews found themselves in. And in fact, there, there was a letter written to um, uh, Rav Specter in Europe, and he uh, he in fact supported this idea. If the Rabbanim Yerushalayim would agree, the Rabbanim Yerushalayim did not agree, and so the 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 nation was split, and a number of people pulled through Shmita, and a number of people did not. The Baron Rothschild was very angry about this whole this whole episode, and he viewed this as a way of not working the land. He felt that this was an excuse. He thought that there were sufficient rabbis who were supporting the Heter Mechira, and he felt that the reason why they, these people were not doing this was was because they didn't want to have to work. They wanted to to sort of live off his stipend, and he therefore pulled his support of those Yishuvim, which kept the Shemitah, one of them being Mazkeret Batya. Mazkeret Batya suffered immensely because not only was there no support, but also there happened to be a plague that year, and one of the things that he would do was he would used to send a doctor into, in on a weekly basis. Many children caught the plague, and many, many people died that Shemitah year in 1888, which is why in the 1895, the next Shemitah year, that's when the farmer sent the, the letter to Yerushalayim, and the Rabbanim Yerushalayim agreed to do the Hetzer Mechira in order for the, the extreme circumstances um, later on. This became a very complicated problem. And later on, there were many different positions which were taken. Rav Cook wrote a sefer on this. He became the rabbi of Yafo. The, the chief rabbinate of Yafo was in charge of the Yishuvim, which is why it fell upon his shoulders to advance the Heter Mechira. And many other rabbinim disagreed. Um, rav Cook's version of Schmidt was extremely profound and an all-encompassing view of Schmidt, very hard to keep. And therefore, he said, "Let's let's do the Heter Mechira until the point that we can manage to do it properly." Chazonish later on had a uh, um, uh, was more machmir to say we don't do the Heter Mechira, but it was more make and many of the halachas of Shmias to do it, to be able to do it. Very, very fascinating. The question is, is how do people reconcile the whole Mazkeret Batya, the whole terrible Shmit of 1888, with this notion that's in our Aliyah, where the Torah promises that if you are concerned about keeping Shmita, don't worry, Akash Baruch Hu says, I'll give you my blessing. It didn't happen. How does it work? So there's a Sma, which is the Sefer Mirasenaim on the Shulchan Aruch, which says that ultimately there's no bracha on Shmita Drabonon. The time that they were keeping Shmita was not Shmita Daraisa, it wasn't the, Torah, the biblical Shmita where the promise falls, but rather it is Shmita Drabonon, and therefore there was no bracha. However, the Chazanish disagrees, and the Chazanish um, disagrees with this assumption that the Sma would apply in this case. And he says that really there's even a bracha, even on, on a Drabonon, even on Shmita Drabonon, there would still be this bracha. So the question is, so what, what really happened? So Rav Aaron Leif Steinman, said an incredible thing. His observation is, is that really um, the, the, there is a bracha, even on a Durabonon, like the Chazonish. However, that's not the way we paskin. We don't paskin halacha in that way. Meaning to say we don't paskin, based in doesn't say, when, they're, uh, when they uh, have to deal with a situation on the ground, and there could be people who will die because of this, they need to account for the reality. You don't make a, a, a psak based on the um, ma'asenisim. 
and therefore it is the responsibility of the uh, of the tzaddikim Yerushalayim to make sure that there was a way for those people to survive that year under the circumstances. And every circumstance different is different, but it was necessary for them to be able to to deal with that under those circumstances and not rely on Masnisim, even though Akash Baruch Hu promises it. That will be the ultimate goal. There, Hashem will bring His bracha, but that's not what we're, what we're counting on in terms of making it happen. This the Aliyah is talks about the most complex of concepts, the blessings of the seventh year, not selling it to non-Jews, and the complexity of how those two intersect with each other. With this, we conclude this third Aliyah. Meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.